something like that. And the cover was just Malcolm X looking out the window for some reason. <laughs> people are like, what? What? Like, I think there's some people who are upset about that. Wait, whose song was that? Like a Nicki Minaj song where she just randomly, like, it was not, nothing about the subject matter, like, was about that. But she just put the cover of, like, Malcolm X looking out the window with the gun. Hey, man, shout out the legend. No, I, I yeah. It's just, I, we remember the classics here on Extended Clip. Yeah. And Malcolm X, you know, several classic written True. pieces and speeches, in my opinion. Yeah, Nick, Nicki Minaj, she's got some verses, you know? Not to be too poptimist, you know? I got a couple of rockers in here, but... <laughs> <laughs> Are you this accusing me of being raucous? Raucous? Uh, nah. You're raucous. You're raucous. Now that, <laughs> I <will agree> with. <laughs> that I can agree with. You know who else is raucous? Old Jess Franco. Uh, Uncle Jess. Jesus Franco. The Spanish filmmaker. Uh, he made so many movies. So many sleazy movies. So many scary movies. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I don't even know where to start with them. I, it's such a dense catalog. I this was my first. I like. I mean, well, Eddie, you've inspired me recently with your viewing. I definitely think I'm going to get more into pornography, um, and watch uh, some more from there. But but where where do I start with this Jess Franco guy? <laughs> well, I've I've only seen this might be my third or fourth at this mm. point, and I think I'm maybe finally starting to get a grasp on his style even though it is it, like you said he made a lot of different movies it could be varied but like i don't know i was i was really in, like something like succubus which i liked but i kind of didn't exactly know going in with franco like what to expect and it kind of hit me you know if this kind of like dreamlike uh almost vignette style like uh uh horror movie or whatever and then like i think i saw uh, Eugenie or whatever, which is like his Mark Desaad one, which I really enjoy, but it's like kind of more gothic or something like that. And this, mm -hmm. this has gothic qualities too, but it, I don't know. I kind of like split the difference between those type of movies for me. And then just some stylistic touches, especially towards the end, just really like, uh, just really got me going, really overwhelmed me and kind of put this movie over the top for me. Yeah, I mean, Jess Franco is like a filmmaker who almost embodies the, if not the thesis, the mission of this very podcast where it's dissolving the boundaries of the high and low art because you look at his films formally and they are very much of the art house realm. You know, his style of film is that of the, you know, mid-century uh, European art house and uh, highbrow sleaze maestros, you know. <laughs> uh, and he is just kind of an, he's like the sexploitation poet of zoom-ins, shadows, and dream sequences, you know? And so many of his films do elide classical narratives in favor of both. Uh, what I won't even really call dream logic, but his sense of dream narrative, mm -hmm. which is very particular and also very hard to hone in on what it exactly is, because I've only seen maybe eight films of his and it's still very hard for me to define him as a filmmaker, but I'm trying here. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I think that aesthetic approach just like has a flexibility to it, depending on what kind of film he's making. If he's making a gothic horror film that has some titties, it's one way. If he's making Vampiros Lesbos, it's another. And if he's making uh, 
what what's the one? I watched one his first hardcore film uh, this week. The first one after Spain lifted its ban on hardcore. Uh, <laughs> he you know uh, really j- j- not jumped the shark, but really jumped into deep jerked waters. Yeah, I guess he jerked the shark, as uh, JT said there. With <laughs> it is actually not that bad of a title for it but uh lillian the perverted <laughs> virgin uh which is a film that like yeah he's not gonna have the budgets to build these expressionist sets and like have these crazy lighting schemes that are reminiscent of giallo film uh it is gonna be more of him working with the low budget uh kind of hardcore stuff that necessitates him shooting close-ups of insertion for 10 minutes on end uh, in between the stylistically fun bits uh so yeah i just think he's like almost too sparse of a filmmaker to really pin down but i think finding the common threads throughout all that he was able to do uh often stylistically is what's so fun about him Mm -hmm. i think he's also fun too because um, you know, in the little I've seen of him, he always sets the stakes up to where it's like anything could happen. Yeah. And a lot of things do happen that you might not think of, or you just, you know, maybe it was in the back of your mind, but it's just, it's just funny. It's like, oh, he's going this way or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or like, I don't know, like his, the way, he, I think that was really interesting when you said like, he doesn't have a dream logic, but it's like dreams are kind of usually a big narrative part of his film I mean, mm-hmm. love characters something will happen to a character and characters will just wake up and it's like it's not even clear if this was a dream or they're just waking up from the last night mm-hmm. it's just like it's it's intentionally kind of hard to follow and kind of you become as jumbled as his protagonists do as you follow him down you know since he's a horror director, you follow him down a hallway when he's got a candle. <laughs> and also, it does remind me of De Palma in the deployment of dreams there and characters waking up as a button to end a horror set piece. And mm-hmm. whether or not that was real or in a dream doesn't even matter because yeah. of the experience of feeling the set piece, you know? And he kind of just like dissolves the boundaries of like sex dreams and nightmares <laughs> alongside uh, dissolving the boundaries between art, film, and sleaze uh and like for 80 80 minutes of tightly woven you know dreams eroticism and uh the living dead what else do you want you know Uh, i i really loved this one it's not like my favorite franco or anything but i had a great time with it no yeah i enjoyed my first outing it was definitely like i mean i get all of what you're saying about what i mean i i want to explore more of his catalog after this but just like the vibes were present overall and that like sense that uh, like that eerie sense washing over me and just like along with the beauty of some of the images of like scenery and just beyond that like these I don't know just very unsettling moments um just like overtook like any like I don't know I I who gives a fuck about trying to comprehend what was going on there but just the tone he builds Um, is really amazing and fun to be with for just such a brief time. And also him using those budgetary constraints, even if it's like not even intentional necessarily, sometimes like he, the, the dubbing, obviously, you know, I'm not sure which audio track you guys watched this with, but I think in all versions, I mean, mine came standard with English for the HD restoration. Yeah, I watched it in French, just yeah. in case. Uh, but, like, the the voice acting was quite inconsistent, but I feel like 
that helps build a very surreal atmosphere, you know? Uh, like, think about the way that David Lynch uh, affects voices uh, in dreams and sometimes in waking scenes, or, you know, sometimes you never know. <laughs> uh, but the way that voices are affected and have a somewhat tinny quality that doesn't quite match the room tone that he builds uh, with the sonic atmosphere is very like disorienting, but I think in a really productive way, if he's building this dream uh, atmosphere that is, you know, somewhere indiscernibly between a sex dream and a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps with the quality too. Cause I feel like, like I said, he has like 160 movies. I've probably, I've seen 0.5% of them. Yeah. But uh, it seems like he does this thing, and you know, it's a classic horror trope, but I think it, it's better serving when he's doing it. It's like you have a character come into a precarious situation and you're just waiting for the rug to be pulled out from under them and, you know, the mayhem to start. And so like these, yeah, these weirdly dubbed voices, you know, this uncertainty of, you know, dream or reality. And, you know, at the same, you know, as you go out throughout the movie, you, you tend to care less and less, but it just adds to like, kind of like uh, this uneasiness that he's trying to build, you know, in, within the tone. I mean, I think the uneasiness also like plays really well with the eroticism mm-hmm. in it because it's like the way it's like the characters are interacting with like their sexuality is like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of creepy at points. I mean, I think it relates to the the overlap of, um, our moments, dreams, or reality, and that like creates like some. I don't know. It, it, I get it, yeah, it, it blurs the lines a little bit there in like how it will just sort of seep into just like a regular scene to one that's like a little bit more sensual, and there's some titties showing. <laughs> no, yeah, I think. I mean, that made me think of. I you know I forgot everyone's names here, but that the older blonde woman just older yeah yeah like how she kind of interacts with the quote-unquote virgin amongst the living dead how like she'll just like be trying to sexually slyly kind of like build a sexual relationship with her and it's like is this something that i'm going to need to be concerned with you know as a as a creepy pervert i'm like it's kind of hot you know what i mean but at the same at the same time it is just like it's just strange you know she'll wake up and this woman's you know like petting her with her foot and stuff like that it's like it's the classic uh thing when you have like a, a creepy mansion movie that I, I always like it's like everyone's always watching each other too like even the quote-unquote virgin you know uh, peeps in on a little sex scene you know even if just for a brief moment just know just know if you're in this house you're being watched someone's watching you don't watch t don't watch me watch tv exactly we've said it before <laughs> we'll say it again i'm we'll trying quote to, it again <laughs> i'm trying that to make that all of our catchphrases <laughs> Uh, but I think you saying classic, uh, speaks to something as regards to this as like a classic, like haunted mansion movie. It also feels like, yeah, it has a lot of classic kind of European art house textures in the cinematography and even in the set design. And even in some of the performance, I feel like the performances here are kind of withheld for being like this movie being so sleazy mm-hmm. uh i mean some of them sure like the guy the one guy who's peeping on uh christina in the lake who <laughs> later appears as a doctor who makes the craziest peeper faces ever yeah uh, that's hilarious. pretty hilarious uh and then you have the i guess uh disabled or mute uh, a guy who was like a re- initially the messenger for the family who brings her from the inn that she arrives at to the mansion. He looks like Joe Spinell. Wait, I was Basilio? Gonna say, yeah, I was going to say he looks like Dennis Franz. That's <laughs> Jess Franco. 
that's, oh, that's just Franco. Oh, <laughs> yeah. shit. Damn, wow. I didn't even know. I've seen him in other movies, too. That's crazy. Damn. Looking like Dennis Franz in that one. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> But uh, he cannot speak, and he, uh, you know, is like a messenger figure, and also in with these perhaps undead family members of hers, uh, because everyone in town says no one lives at that mansion, and yet her family lives there, and they also have these friends staying there, one of which being that older blonde lady who is trying to fuck everything in sight, apparently. (laughs) I mean, hey. It is kind of a softcore film, so. (laughs) This one really isn't that porny, though. It's more of a gothic horror with titties. No, yeah, that's, I think, yeah, pretty much the erotic scenes are just like whenever a horror scene ends and then you just see the the titular virgin just naked in her bed. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, speaking of her being naked, the the peeping scene we alluded to earlier is her going into this uh, lake that's by the mansion that's filled with these uh, lily pads. And uh, there's so much greenery around it that even the lake looks green in a kind of gross way until she goes in it. And you realize that it's it's just all the greenery around it reflected. And even before that, when we're first driving up to the mansion, uh, you have that great scene of all the greenery passing by. And she asks, where are we? A u- and uh, the guy answers, the driver answers, a universe of soft shadows and silence. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, is this a Terrence Malick movie? Or, uh, you know, uh, but I think that kind of like dueling nature of art house and sleaze in this movie really keeps it moving at an interesting uh rate and also is just like always finding new ways to have just like base visual pleasure kind of no i think the the beginning sequence when she's driving over you know to the mansion and you know kind of all all the way up to that point this movie's very insular it's about like her experience and like the decision to like you know just go through a POV, you know, her own POV, uh, looking out the window and kind of like her voiceover really kind of keeps kind of uh, this tension built up until, you know, we go to the house and she starts to interact with more people. But it's like she's very in her head and she's like, yeah. Like, I know something bad's about to happen. Yeah. And the uncle, by the way, total alpha, just like playing piano while the aunt is dying in the other room. Uh, 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 uh. She's like, what are you doing? Like, I know you you could at least welcome me. You know, (laughs) he's just like jamming on the piano. But then he has the spiritual moment of, you know, uh, she prefers me to play the funeral march or something along (laughs) those lines. Uh, And there is this very strange relationship between life and death that's kind of drawn at that moment where... Uh, after she dies, uh, the aunt that is, she's kind of frozen, animated in that position of her looking upwards uh, with her body still. And she's like almost dragged around for the rest of the film in that in that pose. And also there's scenes where, yeah, because Franco has her naked, of course, because of this kind of film, you can see her breathing even though she's supposed to be dead. And like mm-hmm. uh, a lesser critic would point that out as a gaffe, a continuity yeah. error. But... <laughs> Someone put that on up on cinema sense. Exactly. But that just contributes to the fucking surrealism of it totally. Like not knowing whether the character is actually dead or maybe this is all kind of some sort of weird put on since we're such in uh, such in such a perspective uh that approximates Christina's point of view, but isn't quite hers. Uh, And so, yeah, I think like the mystery that comes out of what other people might call inaccuracy in Franco's films is very interesting to look at. No, I I think it's him, you know, him knowing the confines of the genre he's in, the budget he has and playing into them and using them as strengths rather than detractors. 
and you know it's it's really you know it's I don't even know what I mean by this term completely, but I feel like he's someone who just kind of like follows his nose like a dog or something like that. You know, like it's just the way like because there's not, you know, like we said, movies are not always the most coherent, but he finds the way uh, a way just to extract the most out of the current concept he's going for. I'm that I think following his nose like a dog is honestly perfect because it's like uh, it's just there's such a clear voice that's guiding this and is pushing it forward and like all the decisions feel like intentional and there's like there's just such clear purpose even if it's like i'm not like i don't know why they shatter the big ebony phallus like (laughs) i I, like i'm not gonna like interrogate every like aspect of this and you don't need to but it just creates such a very present mood yeah i think i think you know Going back to CinemaSins, I, th- I like to think like they've ran out of mainstream movies. Like, fuck, we got to start doing just Franco movies now. Like, obscure <laughs> easy 160 movies. episodes for them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love right when she enters because what you say about him sniffing it out like a dog, I think also relates to his exploration of set design because almost every Franco film I've seen has a central piece of set design that it almost feels like he's exploring it as he's making the films. But then you look back and it seems so calculated, like deploying different angles of different surfaces at different times, you know? And just like that classic shot of her ascending that blue staircase that we see three times throughout this film uh, that could very well just be the same shot reused three times for all I fucking know, but for three different narrative purposes, of course, as it's over the course of an hour. Uh, I feel like he's always just finding the most cinematic and maybe if not beautiful or erotic, uh, the most strange uh, textures, surfaces and uh, like architecture, interior decorating, stuff like that uh, to, yeah, make these kind of uh, not stock, but kind of tried and true old gothic horror plots uh, come more to life. No, he's someone who just definitely is architecturally minded when he shoots, yeah. you know, and I, I've always enjoyed that too. Like, I feel like a lot, any like location he establishes or a good amount, at least in this movie, he like finds a way to get a shot of like the entire room basically. And mm-hmm. like, you'll have a shot just of the vastness. I feel like there was a shot of the main room um, of the, of the mansion or whatever they're all in. And like, you have all the characters in a room and he does that shot and it's just, they all seem so small in comparison. And like you said, yeah, he's always, he's always figuring shots out. And it's weird because you, you said when he has all the characters in the frame, there's also later when they're all out on that green oh, kind of hill. That's when that, he hits them from two different angles too. And both just seem so weird because the compositions feel wide until that shot. And then you, it kind of reminds you that you're in one six, six and like, he really does have to cram all six of those characters into the frame. It's beautiful. I, yeah, that, that made me, I mean, I think this movie ends on such a strong, I think this, this yeah. the ending turns it up to 11, but that shot was just made me go fucking insane. Like the blocking, yeah. the strange blocking of that shot. It, looks, it reminded like, me of uh dragon in. There's a shot just like that, like yeah. re- leading up to the climactic battle where they're not on, an even surface they're like on a bunch of rocks and stuff yeah uh, but it's staged very similar to that i mean to speak to speak of the undead right like of our zombies or something like that i feel like that's the most effective way to make uh like an undead zombie character kind of creepy is kind of just like uh 
just maybe like, uh, you know, just framing them in a certain way that highlights their, their strangeness and their mm-hmm. peculiarity. And I, I mean, I, I think the blocking on that shot's amazing. It also kind of reminded me of the, like a slow dive um, cover. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? They definitely could be a shoegaze band. <laughs> They're all pretty goth with it. I, I, that's, that was one of the fi- my favorite shots that I've seen in a while. For some reason yeah. that really just rang my bell. Also like, uh, I mean, we'll go back to the, eh, I'll save the ending for the ending, but, yeah. uh, to go before that the first time that she kind of connects with the other side as it were within this mansion she's uh within this like labyrinth of dreams really and she communicates with i guess it's her aunt who says that you know uh she's blind but she can basically like see through everyone's soul (laughs) which is you know pretty scary concept if you ask me but i think beyond scary this movie does reach that kind of ethereal supernatural horror that maybe you know it's not filled with jump scares it's more of the horror of like ramifications and like uh of what people have done in the past and how they are living as undead now you know and i you know you saying slow dive i think made me say ethereal but i think it is i think it is an apt connection honestly in terms of just the pure kind of vibe mode cinema that jess franco does present which is obviously a lot more shocking than the warm blanket that shoegaze music provides Uh uh-oh now we're talking male manipulator music Uh we're getting into Jess Franco, is that male manipulator <laughs> cinema? <laughs> I'm trying to think if I ever made a girlfriend watch a Jess Franco movie. I don't think I have. I don't think, no. No, no that's that's married. You got to wait until you're married to do that. <laughs> Sex, that's fine, but I some have, things are have to be yeah. sacred. I know we already did our vows and are married, but I do have something else to confess to you now that we're a newlywed <laughs> couple. My favorite film of the 70s is Jess Franco's Vampiros Lesbos. <laughs> Sometimes I watch artistic pornography films. And you know what? God Radley Metzger's should... score is number two. <laughs> She's like, that's a deal breaker. <laughs> should have got that prenup. All right. Uh, <laughs> back to this movie. <laughs> Bit completed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it... it as I said, uh, that dream launches the connection between the dead and the living. And yeah, there, there's no like zombie zombies in this yeah. movie. Uh, it's just like people who are slow and dead in the soul, you know? And then you also have that abandoned chapel outside, like after that whole dream sequence and we think we're in reality. Uh, or I think for the rest of the movie, basically, there is no sense of reality, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. After she confronts the soul of a dead family member who is blind but can see through her soul. Uh, from her waking up from that, it felt like I never had a 100% grasp of reality. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the two entirely to the credit of the film because from that point, the film gets better and better with each scene, in my opinion, until it ends. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we meet that old man outside of the chapel who's just like, yeah, the doors are locked. I want to go pray. <laughs> and we just get those such, such weird close-ups on his face that have the kind of distortion that like cinemascope lenses have, those anamorphic lenses have, mm-hmm. but it's in 166 and it's like just a, this weird warped close up of this guy's nose basically, <laughs> just complaining that he can't go to church and it's like such a strange scene. I don't know. Well, yeah, there's so much sorrow that that man has too that yeah. it's just like kind of alarming and yeah, I mean it, it, it is a yeah <laughs> it's just what a guy know. no because it's like it's like a two minute scene you yeah. know and it like i really think it means nothing but it's also so strange and yeah. like i mean obviously you could 
draw some narrative connections to it but like I don't know. It feels almost detached, just like a brief aside uh, to think about Catholicism, True, I guess, yeah. for just yeah. a quick second. Just get a framework of Catholicism before we go back to life and death in case you were thinking about it in other terms. You God's know? not here. That's, I think that's the message. <laughs> so, man, you came to see God. God's not here. It's the undead and so, the virgin. So, yeah, then she walks in on what definitely feels like a dream of the uh, older blonde lady uh, just sucking the blood out of the uh, recently deceased aunt's, like, chest yeah. uh, in such a strange, just, like, obviously yeah there's the softcore element of the camera kind of has to gaze but you also have christina in this dreamlike state peeping on them you know and it's a very strange like exchanging of glances because just before that when she was swimming in the pond we had both the two older guys including the doctor peeping on her and the guy who scares them away who's also peeping on her and then you have the reverse of that where she's watching these undead people suck blood out of each other's boobs. Uh, pretty crazy. I don't know. It, it definitely uh, makes you think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I love how it, how Franco fixates on Matt, too, because he, he stays there for a while after mm-hmm. we're looking at it. And it is it is like that thing where it's like, you know, it's like, I guess this is kind of hot, you know, seeing two naked ladies. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just like, like, but it's like at the same time, you're like, it's just fucking sucking out her guts out of her yeah tip. it's gross it's it's horror imagery tried and true but it's you know? like it's not you know it doesn't like come at you like a like a big knife slash to it it's just yeah. kind of a like a more of like maggot based cinema like worms you know squirming in the mud rather than a a, a swift stab you alluded to the large uh ebony phallus earlier which is the words that are used to describe it in the will uh when the in the, in the airing of the will uh that's so awesome that, that, what a great will reading scene where yeah. that lawyer is just reading off all of these strange erotic possessions that she had that she's all leaving to christina who just showed up and everyone's so pissed, even though I guess they're zombies. <laughs> like they're yeah. with a lawyer still. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, we respect litigation. <laughs> exactly. You gotta get the procedural element, you know? Yeah. I mean uh, but then yeah. she smashes uh the big dildo and uh then the ghost comes through and is like really pissed off at her for that, which kind of uh starts the film's third act descent into uh, rather than distinguishing life and death, uh, death and the afterlife almost. Uh, it feels like, you know, a classic horror third act journey through hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the once once the dad gets involved, I mean, yeah. that's... Oh, yeah. That's, that's some freaky shit. Some yeah. freaky shit. And it's where, like, uh, I feel like... Because, you know, I think Franco's always stylistically bold, but, like, in kind of, like, uh, effects, he gets bold, too. He ramps yeah. up the effects... You know, I love uh, the Queen of Darkness or whatever who he's indebted to just kind of um, after, you know, the father and the titular virgin have the conversation. uh, The Queen of Darkness just kind of slithers out of the darkness and wraps her arms around the father and the chair just, uh, you know, just goes back supernaturally into the darkness. And it's just like. It's just fun. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, that imagery of him just surrounded by darkness uh, in that throne but with a rope around his neck is just like, there are so many different horrifying things that could come next. Yeah. And he still manages to surprise the viewer. I think on every turn, like as, Mm -hmm. as far as his goal to shock goes, I feel like basing it in that art house atmosphere, uh, allows like 
those shocks to hit at such a high rate, you mm-hmm. know, because he lures you in so well with that atmosphere. Uh, not unlike someone like Fulci, you know. But Fulci didn't make pornos like he did. That's all I'm going <laughs> to say. But it, it, she's trying to run. He tells her to run away and she goes off to run away, right? Yeah. And then he follows her through the woods outside of the castle. And we return to that pond filled with lily pads where uh, her father, like, like disembodied just his head, right? Or he's like, he's floating, floating, but it seems like it's his head and maybe his arms or something like that. It's like the top half of his body, but hanged by his neck, uh, is floating, chasing her. And then as it climaxes, she awakens in the hospital. Uh, and the doctor is that huge, crazy guy that was peeping on her earlier. Yeah. Uh, and then it just like freezes her trying to get out of a hospital bed where it's like not a freeze frame. Yeah. Her character is frozen. And that makes me convinced that what happens next when it cuts back to the mansion and she's back there yeah. and the color palette is way darker and everything, we're not going back to the dream world. It feels like she's splitting in two there oh. where half of her wakes up in the hospital yeah. and then half of her is still like in that dream world of terror where also especially going to the hospital and then cutting back to that seeing the whites of the hospital to the supposed white in uh the dream nightmare land being just like a dark gray kind of like the the shift in color palette the manipulation of colors throughout the whole film is like god level like now that i think about it um yeah, it's a, it's a crazy it's a crazy fucking movie. And uh so yeah, she goes back to that underworld and they all descend into the pond with the lilies. Love that. Uh in just such beautifully staged uh a w- big wide shot seeing the horizon, the lake, the greenery, all those beautiful people descending into the eternal afterlife. We love to see it. We yeah. love Uncle Jess. <laughs> And to go back to that shot I was talking about earlier where it's like before they walk in and they're kind of like, they're, uh, I don't know, confronting her or whatever. And like, they're all on that hill blocked in a very strange way. I think it's, I think that I love that shot so much. Cause like, like you said, it's not, they're not like brain eating zombies or anything mm-hmm. like that. But at that moment you, you kind of fully realize their inhumanity, so to speak. They're kind of lined up like objects for like this, uh, strange shot and it's just i don't know i I get so much from it i'm gonna go home take a screenshot of that shot and just look at it (laughs) i like it that much every frame is a painting yeah i'm gonna send this to tony uh i forgot his last name scott tony scott (laughs) tony scott jr you got you want to start directing like your pops i don't know it's not not much not much funny about that yeah <laughs> now the afterlife isn't yeah. so fun is it <laughs> no. anyway we'll be back next week on the patreon to talk about i don't know i yeah. haven't asked ryan if he's going to come on the patreon yet maybe i'll cut this part but eh, eh, we'll see we'll figure it out <laughs>